and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello, folks, and welcome to another episode from the Sales Chat Show in the Sales Chat Show studio. Mr. Graham Jones, Mr. Phil Jessen, and I'm Simon Hazeldean. And this episode is entitled, These Are the Big Mistakes That Are Triggering a Bloody Price Fight with Your customers so this is if we were having a conversation before we came on air to record this episode and and phil was just making the point this is the time of year when customers are often approached by salespeople to have the annual price negotiation or because of the rate of inflation or raw materials that we need to increase price and Salespeople often super uncomfortable. We can identify with that about having to have pricing conversations with customers. It's often, in my experience, something that people feel um, the least comfortable in, in sales, I would guess. So we wanted to look at what might be some of the things that salespeople do or organizations do that actually contribute to this rather um bloody price you know like rather like some sort of awful heavyweight boxing battle with lots of lots of damage being done and lots of and lots of blood being spilt and see what we can do to try to make this a a little bit more of an easy process or at least put some things in place that are going to stop these issues these issues happening. Um, one of the things that just to kick us off, I remember a number of years ago, I was talking to a, a customer about providing some negotiation workshops for uh, the customer sales teams, quite, quite a lot of salespeople. And I was talking to the head of sales and I was asking the, uh, the gentleman concerned, what is it you particularly want your folks to get from it. You know, if once we've done the work, we've done the workshops, they've been provided with the input, what what do you want to be different from, from where they are now? And he said, well, one thing, he said, I want them to realize when they're in a negotiation, he said, because I think at the moment they think it's just the haggling about price, his words, haggling about price at the end. They don't realize how early the negotiation process actually starts. And building on that, the thing I'd like to chuck in first, chaps, is that good selling has to precede good negotiation. So ideally, in a commercial situation, my my thinking is, what I'd offer as a thinking is, if we do a good job of selling, understanding what the customer needs uh, and it's going to be most beneficial to them. What are the, the challenges we're going to help them overcome, the results they're going to help them to achieve? Then show them how our products and service can help to enable them, deliver their strategy, achieve their outcomes, and maximize their perception of the genuine value they're going to receive. That should make the whole conversation about how much it's going to cost a whole lot easier, more of a here's your return on investment kind of conversation rather than here's the price. So I think it's going upstream 
and doing a really good job of maximizing value perception to minimize, we hope, price discomfort. Because you cannot blame customers for asking for a discount because let's face facts, probably nine times out of 10, when they ask for one from most salespeople, they get one. So you can't blame them for asking, right? It's going to be have have salespeople conditioned customers to ask for discounts. That might be a topic for another another episode. So, Guy, your, your, your thoughts and comments. Agree, disagree on what I've just said? What would you add? What would you add by way of commentary? Well, I, mean, I would just look at this from the other perspective, looking at it from the buyer's perspective. Because if you're a good buyer, you will never ask for a discount. Because if you're a good buyer, if you're a good procurement person, by asking for a discount, you've automatically got the salesperson to think of providing you with the least possible discount they can give you. And so you are inevitably going to probably end up with a higher price. What you should be asking is, what's your best price? Because if you ask what the best price they can offer is, the kind of depth of discount they're going to give you could be much bigger or the best price they can give you is for the product, but they will throw in a whole load of added extras uh, as something. So actually, as a buyer, we get more out of it by not asking for discounts. So one of the ways I would encourage salespeople to avoid discounts being asked for is the company should have a policy of we never give discounts. That's it. There are no discounts. You find this in retail. There are many retailers, for example, who say we never give discounts, and yet you get deals. There are no discounts, but you get deals by asking what's the best price. So first thing that a salesperson needs to do is to train their buyers and their customers into the fact they shouldn't be asking for discounts. Well, I guess it's also like there's this um, silly game being played almost, isn't it? Whereas, you know, I've got a lower price to give you and, you know, I'm padding and I know you're going to ask me for a better price. So I'm going to pad my back. And we end up in this very disingenuous round and roundabout we go rather than actually getting down to the conversation about needs, value and, and what might almost be a fair price in the marketplace, right? You know, in order for us to make a profit and and, and so on and so forth. So I think a lot of a lot of game playing goes on, which I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced is necessarily the most the most productive thing. But I mean, fascinated in you trying to sort of say we're trying to influence the buyers because I wonder if a lot of salespeople, as I said in the in my opening commentary have influenced buyers to go and ask because yeah. if they ask they get you're the psychologist right. Graham, yeah. you know you repeat behavior that's rewarded right, right? so yeah. you know maybe we've we've got ourselves because i i'm in the firm view of i'm not saying never discount right i understand graham's point and it, it, great why not um however if you are going to it should be the very last thing you do not the first thing you do and i think too many yeah. salespeople have got into the discount habit they have a 5% <clears throat> sake of conversation. They have a 5% flex. And guess what they give? 5%. If you gave them 4%, they give 4%. Gave them 3%, they get 3%. They just give whatever, you know, because, because they can without thinking. So. It's a bit I, like a mating ritual with birds. You know, if you watch birds on your lawn doing their mating ritual in the, the you know, starting this time of year, um, you see them all and they're both kind of, you know, 
bobbing their heads and doing their movements and all the rest of it that they do for the mating ritual. And yet they both know what's going to happen. So they may as well get on with it. rather than. <laughs> so it's a bit like that with discounts, you know. They got know you've got of, five uh, visions of Graham Phil with his binoculars <laughs> at his patio windows going, oh, for God's sake, just get on with it, pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> so you may as well, you know, if you're if you're going to give five percent, you may as well give five percent and not oh. have this silly dance yeah. that enables the person on the other side to go, oh, my goodness, I got five percent out of them when they know they were going to get five percent. And you as the salesperson going, I only gave them five percent. Um, you both know it's going to happen, so you may as well not bother with the kind of ritualistic behaviour. I, I liked your opening uh, positioning statement, Simon, where you were basically saying that good selling precedes good negotiation, et cetera, et cetera, and we shouldn't forget the value of it's a question-led process and rapport building and all that. And I, I absolutely agree with all of that, I think. Everything to do with selling is more about the front end of the process, not the back end where things like negotiating or objection handling or closing the sale, if you want to use that language, uh, are to be found. And good questioning skills should still continue when a customer says, for example, well, can you take 5% off that? The, the, the question is... Well, if I did that, how would that help you? And if the customer then says, well, I can make the decision here and now, rather than having to refer it to head office in Dortmund, then you might look at that and say, okay, well, under those circumstances, I am prepared to take 5% off it because I can get the confirmation of that order now rather than it being pushed out to Dortmund, where I won't have any contact with them at all. So I think it's question-led yeah. all the way through the process, all the way through. But I think the, the, the thing about going going upstream early is it almost, I suppose, if you did a graph of how much time you invested, you know, and you had a sweeping, swirling line of time, you would ideally want the most time being spent earlier in the sales process, identify needs, understanding challenges, qualifying the opportunity, you know, showing showing the customer how it matches their needs and, da, da, da. and then much less time towards the end where I think traditional sales will be the other way around, quite shallow on the needs identification and then a big pitch. And then all of that old 1970s, 80s overcoming objections and 75 ways to close the sale yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Which just I think just kept sales trainers busy writing big books on 101 yeah. closing methods you know it's just, yeah. just like how many ways are there to ask the customer would you like to go ahead right or or just get it right and the customer goes oh that sounds good to me then and you're, well, fantastic let's let's just you know let's just cut try to cut as much of that out I think as as possible and also have a price that is based on what the customer is looking for and showing the customer that the price is giving them what they need and the return they will receive for it. And then if you do get that, well, can you reduce it by 5%? Fascinating how it's often round numbers, folks, isn't it? Um, you can say, well, if, if we're able to reduce this, you know, as in if you are prepared to receive less, we can charge less, which establishes the principle, which I think is where Graham was, 
was, well, that is how much that service provision or that product costs. If you wish to have a cheaper price, well, maybe we need to look at an alternative. So, I mean, I think it's where you are challenged on price. Go back to the value that you are you are offering and promising to the customer. Go back to the needs that the customer had and showing how you're meeting those and your, your product meets those those kind of things. And, you know, then then maybe you say you have if that doesn't work, then you have to say, well, maybe we need to look at an alternative product for you or maybe we need to trim the service to get inside your pricing. So it's a slow move towards discounting, if at all. That's what I mean by discounting ought to be the last thing we do, not not the first thing we do. You know, and I think you're having some integrity and stopping stopping the game, stopping this. Uh, stopping this five percent, ten percent, because it always seems to be five or ten percent, doesn't it? What happened to what happened to point three seven of a percent? It's also about managing the expectation, isn't it? I think it was uh, Graham who said that uh, you know if 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 you're not uh, prepared to offer a discount under any circumstances, then you might as well get that out up front yeah. uh, and and say so. You know, we're, we're not an organisation that can offer discounts, but there's plenty of things we can talk about today, which I think will be of interest to you. Yeah, pre pre was part of your qualification process, isn't yeah. it? This Otherwise, is... everybody waits for forty five minutes for yeah. the game to start, only for, only to find, of course, uh, that it's not going to start at all, which will yeah. feel somewhat frustrating for the customer, particularly if he or she is one of those people who has a need to feel as if they've won. I think also um, there's a sorry, go on, Greg. Like I say. Also, where is price in the mind of the customer? Yeah. Is price an important upfront consideration or is it not that important because they're focusing on the value they're getting? Mm. And you can see this in retail, for example. So there are jewelers on the high street where everything is priced in the window. And so that you, uh, as a passing shopper, can see the price of the item in the jeweler's window. Uh, there are other jewellers, in fact, owned by the same overall jewellery company, um, that don't put prices on anything, not even inside the shop. There are no prices displayed at all. Now, if you're the kind of person who is worried about the price you're paying and you can't see the price in the, that jewellery shop window, you are not going to go in there because you're going to assume it's too expensive. Whereas if you can see the price in the because you are focused on price, you see the price in the other jewellers and you're focused on price. You go, well, I can afford that. So I'll buy that jewellery item in that store. So that means that already the jeweller that is not displaying any prices is doing that qualification bit is getting rid of all the people who are going to argue about price. <clears throat> it's it's, you know, what? Um... Sometimes when we're running negotiation workshops and seminars, we bring in a proper procurement person to work with salespeople. So they are a full-time, highly experienced procurement member of the Chartered Institute and all, all of this, all of this sort of good stuff. So, and they do a little bit of a day in the life of procurement, and then the salespeople can ask Q&As. And a few of the things I've picked up over the time is to, to link into Graham's point, is they will segment suppliers based upon what they purchase and, and the market conditions, some sort of, you know, four box quadrant or matrix. And some of you will be in the transactional bloody 
square of death where it's all about price. You've got to understand where you're likely to be and decide, do you want to trade with those people or not? And, you know, how is the customer, you know, who are the customers you're dealing with and what pricing kind of segment are, are you going to be in or do you want to be in? And then, and then, and then act accordingly. You know, I had a, I had somebody from a, one particular country who, who said that they were invited in, um, with two of their competitors into a meeting room. It was like an e-auction in person. Um, and it was for government purchasing of, of IT equipment in, in a particular country, which I won't mention in case you'd identified the person. And uh, this, this person said to me, they literally said, right, this is how much we want to buy. And they went to each of the companies in front of each other. How much are you prepared? Right. How much are you going to undercut? How much are you going to undercut? And he said to me, he said, so what do you do then? Yeah, give me some advice. And I said, you got to decide whether you want to be in the room in the first place, right? If you do, go in with a pricing policy and decide, you know, I don't have any clever negotiation trick to stop you from being undercut in that situation. You've got to decide where do we want to go? Where do we want to play? Where do we want to supply or, or not? And and our, our favourite procurement person said, said one time to group of salespeople she said look price is normally a consideration as part of what you buy normally is sometimes it isn't but normally price is a she said but it's almost never the only consideration right it's ne- not normally the only you know the only thing it's a it's one of the buying criteria and you need to understand what the buying criteria are and where price fits in that priority ranking and if it's a super price competitive situation decide to qualify in or qualify yourself out of those kind of opportunities or not. Right. So that's way before you get in there. So if the customer is going to be super transactional and he's going to buy the cheapest possible one, make a decision whether you want to play in there or not, and maybe refocus your efforts on customers where you can add genuine value and have a, have a partnership, you know, and it's, it goes back to um, another point there, Simon, sorry to interrupt, but it goes no, back no, to, Again, having the right questions in the early stages of the discussion. Uh, And I always encourage people to ask that question, which reflects what you've just said, which is, quote, apart from a fair price, what else is important to you? Hmm. So you are acknowledging up front that a fair price is important. You're not saying the right price, incidentally. But apart from a fair price, what else is important to you? And inevitably, as you've just suggested, somebody will say, well, actually, price is number four on my shopping list. Sitting above it are quality, delivery, blah, blah, blah. But that, again, is one of the questions we should have in the toolkit. I think it's great. It's a great it's a great question to ask. I'm reminded of the legendary American investor Warren Buffett's expression, price is what you pay, value is what you get. That's where do you put where do you kind of put the conversation, right? Here's what you are getting in return for the price you are you are kind of paying. And to Phil's comment about fair price, fair pricing might be accompanied by a statement that said, you know, um to the customer for for what you are purchasing of the quality and, 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 and specification of what you are purchasing in the quantity you are purchasing it, this is a fair price in the market that is equitable with other, other people who purchase. And we, we operate that, that, that pricing situation. Some organizations to, to Graham's point have rate cards, fair pricing rate cards. 
100 units, that's your price. 1,000 units, that's your price. And they, they have whatever metrics you want to be you want to be doing. But you'll notice pretty much anything we've spoken about in this episode happens quite a long way in advance of actually being in the room having or over Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever, having having those conversations with those those customers. I think there's one other factor here which kind of puts people off going into these situations because they think I'm going to be asked for a discount and I can't give a discount, so I won't enter that room. I won't mm. enter that market or go to that customer because it's I'm just not going to get anywhere. Whereas actually that's an assumption and the assumption is borne out from a problem at the root of all this with procurement people. And unfortunately, it relates to something which also occurs for salespeople. What many people will probably realize, of course, is that procurement people are given targets. They are given targets of how much money they need to save each year. And so their mind is focused on, I've been given a target of spending 10% less this year. And so all they're doing is chasing the target. They're not chasing the value or the best price. And so we assume then we won't go into that marketplace because they're looking for that discount. So one good example of that, somebody I know in, who has worked with people in procurement in the National Health Service, for example, many people might think as manufacturers, we won't go into there because their procurement targets mean they are trying to drive the price down all the time. And they are, but they're not looking for the best price. They are looking for the target that they need to save overall. So that means, for example, uh, currently uh, within um, the National Health Service, uh, sticking plasters for your skin, they're currently paying about 10 times the amount it would cost them to go and buy it in their local supermarket where the supermarket is making a profit. So actually it would be, you know, the supermarket is probably getting, I don't know, 10% uh, markup on those. So, you know, it would be much cheaper for the health service to go down to Tesco and Sainsbury's and buy their sticking plasters there than going through procurement. And yet, so procurement is paying more because procurement isn't interested in the price. It's interested in the saving. Well, there is. Um, so if your prices were higher in the first place. Can I just make a could point make about the target pro- reduction? Can I just make a point about all matters procurement, uh, which we have mentioned in a previous episode? And that is that we need ideally to be adding value in the boardroom well away from middle-ranking procurement teams. And one of the strategies for any account manager looking to build their accounts this year should be, well, which levels am I currently working at and how do I establish or re-establish my organisation in the boardroom? And I say organisation, not necessarily myself, because a good account manager might say, well, I'll just carry on keeping the procurement people sweet. But the sales director's objective or the chief executive's objective is to strike up a dialogue in the boardroom and team up with their opposite number, if you want to use that language, build the rapport and so on and so on. So it's a a comment not often welcomed when I say it, but 
If you're not adding value in the boardroom, you're a supplier. When you are adding value in the boardroom, you will be a partner. Yeah. Or the equivalent of senior leadership team, et cetera, Phil. Yeah. So to, to our listeners, I won't get too hung up on being in yeah. the boardroom, but the Phil's using that meta metaphorically. Yeah. But to, to Graham's comment, you know, NHS National Health Service, our um, our public health service here in the UK, folks, obviously is, is government public public funded here in the UK. But having worked with, you know, companies selling into it and also selling medical equipment into hospitals all over the world, indeed, yes, there is the cost. There is the cost of the equipment. There is the cost of the drugs that are being provided, the pharmaceuticals, et cetera, the, uh, you know, the, the consumables that are that are part of the process. And then, but then there's cost. And then you can think, okay, there's financial value. So what's the total cost of ownership of the equipment? What's the return on investment of the equipment? What's the, what does the equipment enable you to do financially? For example, to have seven procedures a day in an operating theatre rather than five, which improves operation uh, OR utilisation, for example. Then we've got clinical value, the clinical efficiency, the patient safety, the diagnostic effectiveness. If your equipment is more effective at diagnosing early stage cancer, for example, than, than your competitor, then you are obviously going to be saving people's lives, most importantly. Uh, you're maximising the early treatment, but also it's going to be saving a huge amount of money because later stage is, is, is supremely, you know, incredibly much more uh, more expensive. Um, so, you know, there's a financial benefit and most importantly, there's a patient benefit. So that's miles away from just talking about the cost. And, you know, you're almost having the wrong, very narrow conversation. Price is one element of that example of selling into a hospital situation we're just using. And that would apply whether you're selling into factories, retail, you know, business to business, business to consumer. So broaden, broaden your thinking away from away from just the prize conversation to, to quote my procurement person it's it's most of the time it's a factor she says something like most of the time it prices a factor it is almost never very rarely the only factor so there's lots of other things i think for us to to do when we are considering those quote-unquote price conversations with customers uh phil graham any any closing comments i have one only to add to the mix, if I may, and that is that good organisations are never expensive, even though they might charge a lot. Oh, good thinking. Yes, yes, yes. Mr Jones. I would just say as a salesperson, don't get hung up on the price and don't worry about what other people might say about the price. If you do all this stuff that we've spoken about, about establishing value, um, and establishing that partnership, then the price becomes irrelevant, a bit like the people going into that jeweler that hasn't put the price on the, the ticket. Yeah. If you are going there to buy you know, a, an engagement ring for your partner um, and they're delighted with it, you'll spend whatever it costs. So the cost, the price doesn't matter if you've established the value in the first place. So you don't get into these fights. Yeah, price and value, as Warren Buffett and the and the great Graham Jones are saying, two two different two different things there. You and Warren, obviously, very uh, very good friends, Graham. I'm 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 sure. Uh, yeah, similar ages. 
yeah, we'd all quite like the net worth of Mr. Buffett, wouldn't we? So, uh, a very, very wise man. No, no two ways about it, folks. So, there you go, folks. Just some thoughts. Make sure you're inadvertently not the person triggering those those price fights by being too focused on something that is obviously important but it is not the only thing that is important and that's what customers say as well and think about it when you're buying yourself it's not all about price when you're buying if it's right it's right if it meets your needs it meets your needs and then you'll say you know what that's fair price you know maybe even say that's a little bit more than i was expecting to pay but you know what it's absolutely right and that's about good selling folks so we would like to just wish you good luck and good selling here from everybody at the Sales Chat Show. Mr. Phil Jesser, Mr. Graham Jones, and I'm Simon Hazeldean. 200 plus, plus, plus episodes now, I've lost count, um, in our back catalogue available from all the major podcast platforms. So pretty much wherever you want to get your podcast, you will find us from the Sales Chat Show. Please remember to subscribe so you get notified automatically every time there's an updated episode, a new episode, and we release those on a regular basis. In the meantime, good luck with all of those price conversations with your customers. Remembering, of course, they're not just price conversations. Thanks very much for listening, folks. Good luck and good selling. You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 